just want to introduce my daughters to everyone today. I know it's not a large congregation, uh, but uh, just so that you see somebody sitting next to my wife, uh, my daughter Amanda is in the colorful blouse, and she's heading off to Gordon College in two weeks, and then that's Emma next to her, and she is going to uh, start Hudson Valley the week after that. So we've had a lot of activities going on of... out of four children, these are my, I've got two in college now, these are my last uh, two, so we've had preparation up to this point, but every person in every instance is different. So we, uh, we look forward to what the Lord has in store for both of them and for all of us, and as we continue to pray for you, the church here at Hope, and for our lives together as long as that may be. We pray that God is glorified and that we seek to honor him. Uh, Peter is writing to people he believes and we believe have been called by God to honor him. And yet he is perceiving them to uh, be facing some difficult times. As I mentioned last week, I used the word as one of my... Uh, lectures and someone who has uh, I've been reading his books as I read last week, read from last week is Dave Pollison. He used the word heat. Uh, the last message from Pastor Slaughter was uh, Christian confidence and chaos. Uh, you can call it whatever you want to. It's the messiness of life. It's the complexity of life. It's the stuff when life just gets doggone messy. And Peter, by his heart and pastoral calling, as he says, he's an apostle, but he's also a fellow elder. And he has a heart for these people because they're going, he, he anticipates not only them who are in this region of what we call modern-day Turkey. And as it may be the early days of, of uh, persecution that the Christians are going to face, uh, maybe a couple years before the end of the life of Nero, but before those two years came, he was a, a despot. Uh, he was just a terrible, terrible individual, an insane human being who would just find enjoyment out of cruelty. And then there was Domitian and Trajan as well who came after them who were, were really no slouches when it comes to finding a uh, demented and a perverted way of treating humanity, especially Christians. So Peter is writing to them, So he's writing this letter of hope. He's writing a letter of encouragement to them. Today we're looking at, we looked at verses last week, one and two, and they themselves could be broken out even to uh, a few more sermons. But we're moving on to chapter one, verses three through twelve. Peter started out by saying, he uses those terms, as I mentioned last week, the elect exiles. That they have been called by God, they have been chosen by God, and they are not exiles by their own desire, but they've been called by God to be exiles. Very different than the disobedient exiles of the first two uh, exiles of, of Assyria and Babylon in 700 B.C. and 500 B.C. in those centuries. They were called by God, and they were deemed by God to go on a journey because of their disobedience. They were 
God's presence was taken away from them. The temple was destroyed. All as, as uh, the, the, the tears of Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations as he weeps over the city, just wondering what God is doing. But he says, The mercies of the, new, of the Lord are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. When he saw total destruction and he saw the name of God being trampled on by nations around him because of the disobedience of his people, this is different because now these people are being called by God to be aliens and sojourners and strangers to this world. Not to live according to its drumbeat, but to live according to the heartbeat of God, which is very different. You and I know that if we're called to be followers of Christ, that in our own way, as I said last week, in our own different ways, our own personalities, we are all a little peculiar. But we share this peculiarity. We are all a little bit weird because of Jesus. And we want people to know, in those we face, and those we come face to face with, in our family, and those who we work with, that we are other, we, there are other strange people like us that live the way that we do. We may happen to congregate here at Hope. And that's what I believe God wants us to do, is to live such a different life. As we live our life day by day, and we do the same things that other people do, we, it is our hope that we do it a little bit differently. Sometimes we're going to look like the world. Sometimes you and I are going to be so taken back and fall away from our vision of where we, who we are. That's why Peter takes the time to make sure that they know who they are. And this is why he spends this chapter and up to chapter 2, verse 10, of a Christian identity, of who they are. So they're reminded. You notice, as we're going to read, Peter doesn't have in this letter. Now, if you know you're going to write a letter to somebody who's suffering, what is the first thing you're going to say? Gee, I'm so, I hear you're going through a terrible time, and I feel terrible for you, and I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know what you're thinking, and, I, and I'm sorry, and I can't, I'll pray that God brings you through this. And Peter doesn't start this letter like that at all. He doesn't focus on the situation because, as he's going to say to us in this book, as Paul says to us, as Jesus said to us, in this life we're going to have troubles. It's how we deal with those, is what Peter is trying to encourage these people and us here today at Hope. How to deal with those things. How to deal with them in a way that pleases God, and knowing that we are all going to face different kinds. By God's sovereignty and God's providence, some of you have suffered measure, above measure than anybody else that you know of. More than anybody else in this room. And some have not suffered quite as much. And Peter writes in this book, and today we're looking at verses 3 through 12. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with an exclamation point. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, 
So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Pretty heavy words already. We haven't even gotten to the end of the few verses. Inexpressible joy filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in these things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your word this morning. May we honor it as your word. May we Listen to it as your word. May we cherish it as your word today. And may you have your way with us this morning in this sanctuary. Through my words and through the hearing. Father, we realize and we are so thankful for your promises and that your word tells us that your word goes out and is always accomplishing exactly what you intended to accomplish. So, we, Father, we pray that you accomplish much in us today. That it not just be a clicking of seconds on a time clock or fulfilling a calendar day, but that it would be a day when we are reminded of who we are, that we are filled, that we are encouraged, that we are strengthened, that we are more unified that the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of you and your glory and your grace. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, are these verses 3 through 12 are really broken up in three nice pieces. 3 through 5, 6 through 9, and 10 through 12. Looking at the little package of three through five. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter is now doing something which he wants them to do and wants them to model in their life while they are going to be facing persecution, this is really why he's writing to them, is about persecution. But what he also says to us in verse 6, and James says in chapter 1, verse 2, that there are go- you're going to be facing, as he says, v- various trials, which I think opens the door for us to be able to use it, not only preach a sermon on this because you're being persecuted, but because of the fact that 
We are going to face many trials. You personally have faced trials. This church has faced many trials. All of us have faced trials. Some of it is trials that are from our own sin and the consequences from our own sin. Some of us have been had the rugs pulled out from underneath our legs from other Christians, from our enemies, from our family, from the church. As a pastor, you must realize that churches sometimes deliberately and sometimes don't deliberately pull the legs out from under its leaders. It is a place of the greatest joys I've ever had, and it is a place of the greatest sorrows I've ever had. So these various trials that God has given us, or Paul, Peter is writing about, he is writing to these people because he's wanting them to be, not only if they're suffering now, not only if they're feeling persecution now, on every level, if it's being persecuted, it is because of who they are. It's, they're being ostracized because of their jobs, maybe by their, in their jobs because of who they are, or their finances, or their families of now following Christ. Remember, living in, a, living in a kingdom of Rome under an emperor who thinks he's divine and everybody who pays homage to the Lord and he's divine because the gods have made him divine. And if they had said, yes, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is Lord, these people wouldn't have a problem. But they have a problem because they can't say Caesar is God and Caesar is Lord. They're saying that Jesus Christ is Lord alone. This is the persecution that they're having. And I don't think I have to remind you that that's a persecution that is starting to stretch into our experiences. It's okay for you to believe what you want to believe, but don't tell me in an absolute statement, in a confession, that you have to believe in Jesus. So he's writing to them, and he's writing to them because he wants them to be prepared as well. If they're not going through persecution, be prepared for that day to come. You and I know that we prepare ourselves, or preparing yourself for a coming event is always wise. You know, I've played a lot of sports, and my coach would say, you've got to run these wind sprints. You may hate them in August. But boy, when that game comes along, you're going to like me for it. And you're going to know there's a reason for these wind sprints. Because there are times when you're going to have to run fast and quick, and then there's going to be times when you're going to have to run steady and long. And so he's telling you, be prepared. Prepare yourselves. You have school lockdowns. They prepare for the worst. They have fire drills. They have all kinds of disaster recovery plans. Plans in the event that some catastrophe may happen. Peter's saying, I want to let you know that because you're Christians, and just because you're alive, stuff is going to happen in your life. So how are you going to deal with it? He's not saying that we're going to deal with it perfectly. Realize that. Because I am a testimony of imperfect suffering. I don't do it well. I didn't sign up for it. And once it comes along, I wonder if I signed something somewhere that I said, okay, Lord, I'll take this on. But he's preparing them. He's preparing them for what is coming. And notice how he does it. He exalts the Lord. He puts God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and exalts them to the highest place he can in his, in his life. He says, blessed be them. 
The Father, the Son, and Holy Blessed be the God, the Father of Jesus Christ. Why? Because He needs to be the focus when we're going through this, because you and I, as I've mentioned before, we are going to question the goodness of God. We are going to question our life. We're going to question everything we can, wondering what we did wrong or why it's happening. And even if we can't figure out what's happening, and he doesn't tell us all the time, we're going to wonder why, why, you know what? I've come to realize that God doesn't owe me any explanations. Even though I ask him for it, he doesn't owe me an explanation. I think of John the Baptist in Matthew 11. John the Baptist sends his disciples to, to John the Baptist in prison, who's been there a while and not in a nice air-conditioned place. And some, I can't imagine what the conditions were like. And John the Baptist is in there, and he goes, ask Jesus if he is the one. And what does Jesus say to him? John, I know it's tough. Hey, I am, this, I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. And I'll be there with the troops, and we're going to break you out of prison. No. He says, hasn't the gospel gone out, having the lame walk and the blind see? Sins are being forgiven. John, are you, John blessed are the one who is who's not offended by me. I mean, and then John's head gets chopped off. He didn't save him from his trial and his tribulation. He just told John, this is what you need. Yes, I am who you've been hoping to, to come. I am him. And that's who we need to trust in. And it's difficult. We want more. We want help. We want the, we want the fire trucks to come. We want the cavalry to come. We want you know, rich aunts and rich uncles. We want somebody to come when we're in trouble, when we need them. Anybody who can relieve us. Peter is not worrying about being relieved. He's worrying about taking us through. So he exalts the Father, as he says, and then by exalting him, as you have mentioned before, God is exalted, E-X-U-L-T. He is not lifted up. He is now praised, and he is sung about, and his glory is known, and you just can't help yourself but just respond with this sense of wow and happiness and celebration. You've been in a sporting event or you've been someplace where a piece of music has been played or sung and, 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 and you just know it was a beautiful piece and you just, people just stand up and clap. Or you, I've been on teams or I've been in the, in the stands when someone has made with no seconds left on the clock and the ball is going through the air and it goes through the hoop and you, you can't hear nothing in your ear but a roar. That's exalting. Living in Boston, in the North Shore area, and just just avid, 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 avid Boston Bruin fans. I went and visited a family that that uh, we were close. I was close with, and uh, that night, and invited me over to watch the Bruins in the playoffs, and it was intense, an intense experience because. He, these, they were just hockey crazy people. Played it growing up, coached it, was coaching it, still probably is coaching it. Played with some of the big names of the Boston Bruins when he was growing up and, in, and played it great in college. 
And I walked in, and we're sitting there, and we're talking, and then I realized it was time to go. And, man, they were just chomping at the bit because the Bruins had so many opportunities to score. And so I leave. I say goodbye, take care. And I get, as soon as I start walking out, and this is a suburban, high, highly populated residential area. As soon as I started, I just get in, I opened my car door up, and I could just hear this roar all the way, not only from their house, but the entire block. And I evidently knew that the Bruins had scored. That's exalting. It was, no one had to prime them. They were, wow! It just happened. It came right out. It's a response, a visceral response. And this is what Peter is saying to them. This is what we need to be thinking. We need to exalt the Lord when we're going through these things. When the heat comes on, our first response is not to exalt the Lord. But at times we do, and other people do. And you've seen people that have been strong and powerful and humble and gracious when they've gotten that news. And when they've been enduring and they've run a marathon, you know, he doesn't say that these are going to be, he says these are going to be short, and we'll look at that. But he didn't say how short or how long they were going to be. Some people suffer for a moment and a day or weeks or months. Some suffer for years. And God is calling us through Peter to be ready for all of those. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice now these different reasons why we are to. If you follow along, he says, he goes, according to his great mercy... Mercy is nice, mercy is good, and mercy is for people who need mercy, and mercy is for people who can't do anything else but receive mercy. Number two, he has caused us to be born again, and being born again, he says, into a living hope. It's a hope that keeps on going and going and going and is not timed, it has no duration, there is no expiration date on it. It is a living, lasting, eternal hope. Based what, he says? Based on the life of Christ and because of the resurrection of Christ, who and which means for us all, we know what that means. The Bible is repleted. The New Testament, Paul's writings, the New Testament writers talk about the resurrection of Christ. It is Jesus who turns his face like a flint to Jerusalem because he knows he needs to die there and he knows he needs to be raised from the dead there to take care of the debt that we owe against God, that God is so angry at us for. And yet to supply and to be able to pay the debt that the law, 613 laws in the Old Testament, in Judaism, that every one of them needs to be followed. We can't read 613 laws in one day rather than just follow them all. And so he says, we have his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the, cause, that is the ground, the ground of everything that we put our hope in. Paul, through the book of Romans and through his writings, the resurrection is key to the, correct, the first Corinthians. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we are a pitiful bunch of people. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you're going to die. 
be a free man in Paris. Live unfettered and alive, as Joni Mitchell sang. That's what we should live like if there is no resurrection. And then verse 4. Into an, into an inheritance. Now he uses these words, and I, was, I said last week, remember now he's starting to use these buzzwords of, of Old Testament buzzwords that the Jews would get and the Gentiles would realize that, wow, he's using those words about me now? Because you are now, Peter is saying, and the Bible tells us that now the church is the new Israel is, that is made up of Jews and Gentiles. And this word inheritance, the Jews knew what it was to be inheritance. Abraham was concerned about his inheritance. There were all kinds of kids for inheritance. They had all the tribes for inheritance. They couldn't wait to get to the land for inheritance. Inheritance, inheritance, all these genealogies, what was for inheritance? But also the fact of who were in the Levite tribe so that they could perform the duties of the high priest or the priestly functions. So that's why those lists of all those names that bore us to death were important. And he says, you have an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Pretty much saying all the same things, but everything that the land and the nation and the temple and everything that Israel stood for faded, died, and perished... The land is still there. Someday, as Peter writes in Second Peter, it's all going to burn up anyway and be purified. Remember I said last week, you don't focus on a geopolitical place or nation anymore. It's in Christ. He is our Israel. He is the perfect Israel. He is Israel. He is the temple. He is everything that Israel was supposed to be. Jesus is everything. He is all the promises, all the yes and amen in Christ. So it is imperishable. It's undefiled, meaning it's never going to be compromised. It's unfading. The beauty of Christ, the beauty of our inheritance, everything that Jesus gives us, himself included, never fades. You don't have to worry about the sun fading it. You don't have to worry about it getting old. You don't have to worry about anything. Its glamour, its quality, its vibrance never fades. And that's why he's exalting the Lord. This is why he's lifting him up. He's saying, I want you to know what you've got. This is what you've got. This is now he calls, and these are the present day. These are the reality of who you are. I want you to hold on to the present things that you have. And also what you have in the future. Because it makes a difference of what you think about. And how you're going to act. And how you're going to think. And how you're going to be prepared. Notice the next one. Kept in heaven for you. Not kept by H&R Block, not kept by fidelity, not kept by any, any you know, financial planner, not kept by any bank, not kept by you and me, not kept by anybody. Not worrying about some wind blowing in the wrong direction and the stock market plummets. Or gets a rumor that it's going to be something and the stock market goes up. Nothing about your FICO score. Nothing about your credit rating. Nothing, nothing, nothing about any of that. That drives our very lives. That judges us. That restricts us. That labels us. He is saying everything that you have will never fade. In fact, it won't fade because where is it stored? 
It's kept for you in heaven. As Jesus says in, in, his, in his teaching, to, and Peter, I'm sure, remembered it. Your treasure, if your treasure's in heaven, nothing's going to make it corrupt. Nothing's going to, if that's where your treasure is, that's the best place to have your treasure. Now, you and I know that, you know, all those other things are important in our life as we live in a horizontal way. But if we think our eternal life, we think our hope, we think that, our, that God's going to judge us and how we did all those things makes a difference, then we don't understand the grace and the mercy of God, the great mercy of God. As he says, he gives it an adjective, the great mercy of God. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, verse 4, unfading, kept for you in heaven. Who? And who else is? You and I, verse 5. You and I are being kept by God's power. So not only our inheritance, but you and I are being kept by God's power. Boy, to know that we see nothing but mountains around us, or we see nothing but floods around us, or we see nothing but a fiery furnace around us, or we see nothing but troops around us, or enemies around us, or we see nothing but destruction and hopelessness and darkness around us when we are going through a day of sorrow or a lifetime of sorrow. He is saying that regardless of it all, he says, it, your inheritance, and you, his beloved people are being kept by God's power. Boy, what other better power can there be? Now, I know you and I, can, we can nod our heads and we can say yes and we can enjoy this, but I'll tell you, when the water gets up over my knees, when I look at my hair and my arms and they've, there's no more hair left because it smells of being burnt, when I find myself in a place where it seems like Life is crumbling, and every decision I make, there's a counter to it. And I'm not doing anything morally wrong. It just seems that one decision leads to another decision, or sometimes inactivity doesn't leave us neutral. There's always something sucking the life out of us. When we get those days, those years, it is good to know that we are being kept by God, by God's power. You are being guarded through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time, when, as he says here in um, verse 13, therefore preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ when he comes. He says, it's all going to make sense. You're going to know who he is and you're going to see him and you're going to rejoice in him because the fullness of who we understand Jesus to be, there's not going to be any questions left. We're going to see him for who he is. And through faith for our salvation that is to be revealed at the last time. Being kept by God through faith. Turn with me just in, uh, just in Peter alone. Chapter 4, verse 19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful Creator while doing good. In chapter 5, verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, 
will himself, notice, himself, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is why he wants us to understand our, our, understand our theological foundations. Because these are the things that keep us strong. These are the things that we are going to rest on when we find ourselves fretful and in a fetal position someplace in a closet. Some deal with it differently. Some people just keep on trucking. Some people just keep on going. Some people smile. How are things going? Great. When you know inside that they're broken in pieces. And I can't imagine some of the things that people have had to endure. I think of Pastor Slaughter in that situation that he finds himself in. Can't imagine what the man thinks about. Can't imagine what you looked at yourself and now all of a sudden he's in this situation and his family's in this situation. And yet, by God's grace, you would think the man's faith would crumble. You'd think the man would give up and say, what kind of God is this? And yet to be worried about ministry. Quite a testimony to the Lord. Friends of ours, uh, in high school, she marries later in life and has a great marriage, finally met, meets a great Christian guy, guy's a great school teacher, loved by his students, 50 years old, just out of the blue, he gets this spinal meningitis and in, in, in intensive care and in coma for 17 weeks or weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and comes out, and here she is now taking care of a man in a wheelchair who can't feed himself, who can't go to the bathroom, and she's taking care of him for years and years, while other people are saying, Christine, just institutionalize him. You've got to move on. And yet here's a man who I knew who he was, and I knew his faith, and he would travel, and he would go to nursing homes, and play guitar, and sing well, and carry on music, and go to places and minister to all kinds of people, deacon in the church, and when he, get, he couldn't speak anymore, but he would nod and he would be in church on Sundays. He'd come to visit us from Rochester and they'd wheel him in the front and he would have, when you would say, he would have tears in his eyes or when I mean, he couldn't do nothing but groan. We'd say, Paul, would you pray for us? And he'd groan in his prayers, but they were the most powerful prayers you could hear from someone who you couldn't articulate one thing, but you knew that he was talking to Jesus. That's not my lot. That's not what I've gone through. But God called them to go through that. Whose God's power is being guarded. Regardless of what's going to happen, Peter says, you're in the hands of God. You're in God's palm. And no one will ever, as Jesus says in chapter 10 of John's gospel, no one will ever snatch you out of my hands. You're safe there. So now we move on from 3 to 5, we move on to 6. You see there's so much to unpack in just two verses, three verses. We go on to 6, and, uh, six through 8. In this you rejoice. In what you rejoice? We rejoice in this hope. We rejoice in this salvation. We rejoice in this great mercy. We rejoice that we've been born again. Because you and I can't be born again by borning againing ourselves. I didn't, my daughters and my sons didn't will to be born again. To be born, excuse me, the first time. Only by God's power 
And by God's work, can we be born again, have a whole new beginning, a whole new life, our sins forgiven, a new eyes, new mind, new way of thinking. God's wrath not upon us. We are no longer enemies of God. We are now friends of God, children of God. We have, were in darkness, we are in the light. We were blind, but now we see. We were dead, but now we're alive. That's what he's telling us to remember while you're suffering. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, he says. You know, a little while, like I said, can be a day, it can be years, and a little while is... But he's not talking about our time. He's talking about eternity. And Paul says in Second Corinthians, in these... He's suffering. I mean, if you read 2 Corinthians, you know, shipwrecked and beaten up and stoned. I mean, he's had some terrible days at the office, that guy. And he says, oh, those light and momentary afflictions. Light and momentary afflictions. We get stuck in traffic or somebody ticks us off or somebody stubs our toe or something and we just go through the roof. And he just says, light and momentary afflictions. It's amazing, though, is it not, that you have seen yourself and you have seen others being able to endure these things that go on and on and others are saying about you that you don't see about yourself. Living in our house, you won't think that we're Christians at times. Other people look at you and go, wow, it's amazing that you keep on going, Jim. It's amazing that you still have faith after some of the stuff that you've had to endure. And I go, wow, you can see that in me? Amazing. Thank you, Lord. For a little while, and notice the word after that, if necessary. Uh, who deems it necessary? As I said, I don't sign up for the necessary things. Suffering various trials of different kinds, if necessary, by God? Yeah, by God. It was the will of the Father, it was the will of God, it was the will of the Lord, Isaiah says, to bruise him. If necessary, he says it's going to be necessary. Why is it necessary? Well, the first thing is necessary because, as he says, it strengthens your faith, verse 7, so that... So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes and though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and, uh, and the glory and honor when Jesus comes. Not only then, but now as well. He says, and God says, that, that this testing is needed in your life. For some, he's called to a greater persecution, a greater suffering than others. It's like God's giving out prosperity or poverty. Some people have the ability to get there by hard work. Some people work their entire life and never get there. Some people don't work at all and get there. can make you doggone angry and jealous and frustrated with life. But yet God's sovereignty, in his sovereignty, he chooses that to happen in our life. He doesn't, as we remember, we looked at Romans a while back. And he didn't say it's good. 
But he's in control of this suffering. As we've read already, verse of First Peter, verse 13, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 3, verse 17. For it is better, verse 17, chapter 3, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. Now, I've got to tell you that I need to exalt God. I even need to remember who God is if I'm going to put my life in God's hands who can do this to my life. Because when I go through this, I'm wondering, how much do you really love me, Lord? Now, if I listen to the popular preachers out there that churches are banging full with 30,000s of people who never mention sin, who never mention suffering, only mess in prosperity, you're going to wonder if you're really following the wrong God. And that's what's poisoning the mind of people out there. So God is calling you and me and hope and this hope church and the situations that you've endured for seasons here that how we suffer together and how we suffer alone is really a testimony to what people see and think out there. Chapter 4, verse 19 again. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. That's why James says, consider it pure joy. Your faith is being tested so that there's a reason for it. There is somebody in control. There's a cause and effect. You are suffering so that God is in control because of that so that. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians Chapter 1. Now these aren't things that you've not heard before, but these are things we come here for to be reminded of. This isn't new stuff. This is stuff we come to remember who we are when we get together of how we're supposed to look at each other and how when we leave here we live our lives. Because this week may be the biggest and best week of your life and it could be one of the worst weeks of your life. Verse, chapter 1, 2 Corinthians, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that someone's in control, someone's ordering this, someone's in planning all this, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction. That's another reason why we rejoice, because now we are able to help one another when we find someone who is suffering. Because when I came here first, the, the first time and I walked down and I went to Bob and I said, Bob, I don't care how you got into that ditch, but I'm not going to tell you and judge you you're in that ditch. I'm going to be with you while you're in that ditch and see how we can get out of that ditch. And that's what this ministry is. As Christians, God brings sufferings to some. Everyone's suffering in different ways. We at different levels have experiences of family and friends, personal health or addictions or, or you know, problems with your life or decisions that you made that you can find someone in a church to relate to that you, God has caused you to go through that so that you could be a minister to them. 
so that you may be able, we may be able, to comfort those with our in any affliction with the comfort with we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, oh man, that wouldn't sell any books, would it? That wouldn't fill churches, does it? It's supposed to. And we're not supposed to change our message to fill the church. We're supposed to be faithful to the message of Christ. And if God deems to bring revival, if God deems to bring a house full of people in here, ten houses, a hundred house full of people, it's God's choice. We are to be faithful. I came from a church that had lots of people at one time. And there were teens of people left when I left. Why, I don't know. Certainly the gospel was being preached. I was told that by people. I don't know why God did what he did. I have no idea why. Sometimes churches need to be preached down before they can build up. If we are afflicted, Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which we, you experience when you patiently endure the same, suffer, same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul, the super apostle, the big guy, the guy that could do, you know, he'd chew crowbars and spit out nails, that kind of guy. Indeed, verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Back to 1 Peter. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may result in the praise and the glory and the honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is short term. It is temporary. Temporary because we're using, it's all relative. Here is eternity. And right, and here's life. And that's what he's using. It's temporary. It's short lived. Even though it may last 5, 10, 15, 100 years, it's still short. These momentary and light afflictions, based upon the glory of God, based upon what the inheritance that God is promising us. Isn't that how big we should be looking at God? God is much bigger than you and me. We can't fathom, we can't fathom what God has in store for us. Now, I, again, I'm passionate, but I'm a weakling. I'm, you're probably stronger than me going through things. But this is what I need to hear. This is my button I need to push when I'm going through this. Talk to those three ladies over there. They'll tell you how sanctified I am when the heat comes on. Don't believe everything they say, but some of it. <laughs> they embellish too much sometimes. Honoring Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Leading to praise to God the Father. I can go through what I'm going through and thank God and be able to worship with you and actually 
feel that it's good to worship. Even though I leave here, I'm still in some of the same quagmires I came in the door with. There's something about being in sacred time and sacred place with sacred people. Now, you're not sacred because of what you've done. You're sacred because of what Jesus has made you. I didn't want you to get inflated too much. Notice, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Peter's seen him. Peter's been with him. Peter's experienced eating and sleeping and being around Jesus all the time. For three years, he was with him. Even in the inner sanctums of the Mount of Transfiguration, and being and watching him suffer and die upon the cross, and standing there with his mouth with a dumbfounded look while he looked at the empty tomb. Nobody sees Jesus. But we love Jesus because of what the Bible tells us, what he's done for us. We can see Jesus in each other. We can see his resemblance in each other when we are who we are. As Jesus says, they'll know you're my believers. You'll know you're my disciples when you love one another. And we'll be able to see Jesus in others when they're going through trials and tribulations. But to, except for Paul, who was abnormally born, you don't see Jesus until we're going to have our eyes changed when we see him. And everybody's going to see Jesus then. Believers and unbelievers, but you and I, as believers, are going to look at Jesus and say, Wow, this is somebody I, I've been looking to see. Like finding somebody in the airport that you've been longing to see, you haven't seen for a long time. Obtaining, verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Not the souls necessarily of, of uh, contrasting the body and, and flesh. This is a Hebrew way of thinking. The entire person, the total person, the salvation of your very soul, as this word was used in Hebrew, as it's saying that when, when God created Adam and he created him out of dust of the ground and he breathed and he made him a living soul, it says. Old translations say living soul. Made him a living being. The very salvation of us totally. That's who he's talking about. Then last, 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Now notice this. It's everything is for us. He's here to encourage us. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ. You see, the Holy Spirit is called even the Spirit of Christ here. And it's important to keep that term when we go on in the book of Peter, letter of Peter, because the Spirit of Christ is going to come on, come again, and hopefully the way we understand it and we interpret it will help us understand maybe a difficult passage. But the Spirit of Christ in them. Jesus was in them. The Spirit of Christ was in them. The Holy Spirit was working in them when they were prophesying. Because that's why this is God's word to us, breathed out by God. Not written stories, as Peter writes in Second Peter, not, not stories that they just made up and invented. It was men led by the Holy Spirit to bring us these words. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves. But us, you, he says, us, at Hope Church here in Boston Spa, these things were written 
for us. Isaiah had, did not have a total clue of what the Messiah, who he looked like, or what he was. Wrote about his beard, dripping, disfigured, hanging on a cross, beaten. But imagine Isaiah, when they're looking for a Savior, you're looking for a Savior. The guy has an S on his chest. Right? He's going to win. He's not going to hang on a cross and die. How do you, when you're writing this and you're looking at this, Isaiah didn't have it. He didn't have the whole picture. That's why Jesus says to, to uh, uh, the, the disciples about John the Baptist, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist, even though John the Baptist is the greatest of all the prophets. Why? Because John the Baptist is a prophet of the last of the old-time prophets that were looking, from, looking at Jesus from a distance. That's the difference that you and I have. The saints of old, the prophets, the prophets of old, Isaiah, didn't understand the suffering. I, Peter didn't understand. Peter was walking with Jesus. He didn't have a category for a suffering Christ. He walked away. What are you dragging your face? Why are you you're so depressed, Jesus says to them. Well, our Savior died. Jesus died. Jesus says, didn't I tell you guys this? Nicodemus, shouldn't, you're the learned guy of it. Shouldn't you know this stuff? They didn't, have a, they didn't understand what you and I understand. We see Jesus under a microscope. They saw Jesus through a telescope. That makes us so different. That's what makes us different. Not special, but different. Because we can see everything that we need to see about Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit has given us this word to do that. These men who wrote from the past... I had to live with the fact is that I'm writing this and God's giving me these visions and God's giving me this word and this is thus saith the Lord, but I don't understand it all. So he says that Isaiah had to be told, don't worry Isaiah, someday you'll get it. But it's written for people in the future. It's written for my people that are coming. Now follow me, just keep your fingers uh, there as we turn to uh, Romans chapter 15. This is the encouraging uh, verse that we go to. Romans 15, I think it's great for us to have in our quiver. Verse 4, chapter 15. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instructions that through endurance and through encourage, the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have what, folks? Hope. And this is what Peter is writing to them about, hope. He wants them to have a hope. A hope that is not sitting here and saying, uh, Right? That's the kind of hope sometimes we have. I don't know. Right? Imagine if God was that way. Jim, you're a tough nut to crack. I don't know. I've been sending a lot of people your way. You still haven't come to know me. I've got to think of a better way to do it. I mean, you think Jesus had a plan B? You think God has a plan B? God doesn't have a plan B. It's all A. It's all the one plan. And he doesn't sit here and ring it. Our hope isn't built upon, I hope, I hope. Our hope is built upon the hope that Jesus raised from the dead, if we believe that to be a historical fact in our life, 
and that has historically changed our life, that's what Peter's telling them, that that's what you and I need. That's why Peter's going to talk about the community of faith, which is so important when we're going through trials, because when persecution comes, when trials of various kinds come, when people have to seem a bad day or a bad week or a bad life, this is where they can come. And I think of songs, Be Thou My Vision, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. These are the things I think about when, when I, I think of Christ and I think of these hymns and I think of this. I have to make myself not good at it all the time, but I end up knowing what I'm supposed to be doing, which is good, right? It's good. It's to know what I need to be doing. I didn't have that in my quiver before, but I got it now. I don't do it well, but I do it sometimes. And God doesn't say, you're trying your best. He knows of my weakness. And he knows that when I try to do something, and I do it for him, and I love him, regardless of how imperfect it is, it's like your children painting those pictures, and you put it on the refrigerator, and you don't have a clue at what it is, but it's beautiful. That's what God sees about us. As long as we're trying to please him with the heart that Jesus has given us, with the obedience of Jesus, based upon the salvation that Jesus gave to us and that he died for us and his perfect obedience and everything you can think of that the gospel says that he raised from the dead and is now ascended to heaven and is now ruling there and now lives in our hearts. And because you and I are here, this is sacred because Jesus is here. God looks upon us and says, I'm with you. And that's what Peter is writing to these people. Now, he, he, you notice he hasn't given them anything to do yet. That's going to change. But really, the, the, the nitty-gritty of how we're supposed to take this stuff happens in verses 11 on in chapter 2. But next week, he does give us an exhortation. But we've heard a lot here today. We've got a lot of stuff here today. And I'm just hoping that this isn't exhaustive, but that when you read this now, that you have some sort of structure, hopefully, to be able to worship God in a different way, in a better way, maybe a more informed way. That's why God calls people like me and Pastor Slaughter and other pastors along so that we can bring to you and teach you God's word so that you come to understand him and increase your faith. So let's pray together. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. And we're thankful that when you say that even though we may be unfaithful at times, you cannot disown us because we are your own. We appreciate that, Lord. And that is not something that we give a license to us to do whatever we want to do. That grace is not cheap. Grace came at a cost. And we need to remind ourselves of that. And Lord, if imagine if we just took one morsel of what we've heard today and tried to apply it to our lives. How different our church would be. How different our homes would be. How different our lives would be. Even, Lord how different our neighborhoods would be or our sphere of influences would be just because if we did that. And Lord, we're thankful that they are different. We're thankful because we are there and we are creating the image of Christ that we now are different and we are sanctifying those people by our lives. We pray, Father, that we don't add to the darkness around us, but that we add to the light because you live within us. Thank you for your G-R-E-A-T, mercy, in our lives. We are here to thank you, Jesus. 
In your name we pray. Amen.